in Matthew 4, starting at verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Thanks, Lizzie. Uh, good morning, everyone. Nice to uh, see you here today. Uh, in the, uh, you probably aren't surprised to know that in my house there's rotors for the children to keep busy. And uh, after dinner every day, uh, there are three jobs to be done. The first one uh, is to load the dishwasher, wipe the sides, wash up any other bits and, and put the dishwasher on. The second one uh, is to go and put the bread machine on, load it up, set the timer so it's ready for them to make sandwiches in the morning. Uh, the third one is uh, to sweep the, sweep the floors, um, hoover the stairs and empty the bins. Uh, now, we get through a lot of rubbish, uh, not just in the, what we do, but actually a lot of rubbish. Uh, and uh, it requires taking out the cardboard and the plastic and the compost all out to the front of the house. And in the winter months, it's dark. And that is the one job that particularly the younger children, I won't mention them by name in case they're embarrassed, don't like doing because they're afraid a little bit of the dark. Uh, I guess it's something we all understand, isn't it? We all kind of, there's this inherent sense that darkness is a bit scary. Uh, now on the whole, we grow out of it, don't we? Uh, it's, we, we, we understand the context, we rationalize that it's all right to go on the front drive to the bins, uh, it's okay. Uh, most of us aren't scared of putting the bins out or going down to the shed at the end of the garden, something else that they pretend they're scared of the dark for so they can't put things away in the evening. Uh, in many parts of the world, though, darkness is, is genuinely something to be afraid of. Uh, when we lived in the capital city of Lesotho, uh, no one really went out at night on foot if they could help it. Uh, it just wasn't really safe. Uh, if you drove out, you didn't even stop at red lights or junctions. You just closed your eyes and hoped. The darkness conceals crime and danger and fear and the unknown. Uh, it's secretive and it's uneasy. You, you can't really rest when it's dark in those sort of situations. The one thing you need, the one thing you need when it's dark is light. Well, let me pray and then we're going to look at this passage together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent us the Lord Jesus, who is light of the world. We pray now as we think about this passage before he begins his ministry that uh, if we're in a dark place, we would see again the light of the Lord Jesus. We pray for those of us who don't know you, perhaps haven't realized that we're, we're living in the dark without you. We pray that you would show us both our darkness, but also your great light. We pray for all of us that we would uh, see what Jesus has come to do and who he's come to reach. We'd both uh, repent and respond, but also join in him with his mission to reach this world with your light. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Uh, well, if uh, you've been with us for the last few weeks, you'll have known we're going through uh, Matthew's gospel. We started before Christmas uh, and we'll have seen about Jesus that he is, uh, he is the right ancestor. He is the king in the line of kings of King David. He is the Messiah, the chosen one of old. Uh, we'll have seen that he was born of Mary and born of the Holy Spirit. He is fully human. He is fully God. Uh, he will have seen that he is the perfect Israel. He also was brought out of Egypt. Uh, but this Israel, Jesus, uh, never put a foot wrong. Perfect in his obedience and his service to God. Uh, we've also had a few reminders. Uh, Matthew's reminded us of the Old Testament prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled. That Jesus will suffer and be rejected by this world that he's come to live in. His crucifixion, his suffering servant life is not something that should surprise us and it shouldn't have surprised the Israelites, the Jews at the time. We've seen him baptized and anointed by God the Father, uh, the Holy, God the Holy Spirit, as God the Son. He's demonstrated his unquestionable perfection and obedience and trust to God uh, and God's will in the face of temptations uh, of Satan himself. And Jesus is now, as we reach this passage, ready to begin his public ministry. We know who he is. We know what he, he's done. We know what he's come to fulfill. We know what he's capable of. We know he is perfect. Now is the time, and that's what happens in today's passage. He's going to begin his public ministry. So verse 12, uh, I think they're on the screen uh, or in your Bibles if you've got them open. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew. To Galilee. Uh, so if you remember the announcer of Jesus, John the Baptist, uh, the one paving the way for the Messiah to come, uh, Jesus hears that he's been put in prison. Uh, it's, it's almost a sign, isn't it? He's in prison. Jesus, now is the time to begin your ministry. Come forward and preach. And you might expect him to head off to Jerusalem, uh, to the temple, to the capital city, to preach against the occupying Roman forces. Uh, or you might expect him to do a tour of all the synagogues, teaching the Jews, telling them, God's people, listen, I'm here. You're, you're doing great. Come and stand strong with me. Well, not really. He doesn't do what he, we might expect, and he doesn't preach what they might have expected either. Verse 13, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Why there? Well, we're told in the next verses, verse 14, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Uh, the fulfillment that Matthew's talking about here is from Isaiah 9. Uh, and as with most Old Testament prophecies, uh, there's, there's often a double, if not more, horizons in view for the prophecy. Uh, so Isaiah, back in chapter 9, was initially speaking and predicting the return of the Israelites who have been exiled from the northern kingdom of Israel to Assyria. Uh, so just a little history recap. Uh, about 3,000 years ago, uh, Solomon, under the reign of King Solomon, Israel split into two kingdoms. 
uh, both of which had good and bad kings, is what we read about uh, in Kings and Chronicles in the Old Testament. And eventually, after about 400 years of these kings in the northern kingdom, they became so sinful and rebellious that God exiled, he allowed the Assyrians to invade and for the people to be exiled to Assyria. Great swathes of the population were carted off uh, to the north. Uh, there's a map on the screen. I'm sorry, this, it's not really in focus. I'm not sure I can do much about that. But uh, here's Israel down the bottom and Assyria is up the top. You can see some of the routes they would have taken. Uh, but you can imagine the chaos and the confusion and the misery and the fear, couldn't you? As they were, uh, half the most of the population were carted off into exile in the north. Uh, some of us here might understand uh, leaving our home countries for work or, or for a better life. Uh, but few of us will understand the uh, sadness of being forcibly removed uh, under oppression, exiled from your home, from your nation, from your culture, taken away. So Isaiah 9, in that context, brings extraordinary hope. Uh, verse 1 of Isaiah 9 is on the screen, but you'll see it very closely resembles the prophecy Matthew refers to in, his, in chapter 4. So Isaiah 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, so despite that context that we've just talked about, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Uh, we need a little bit more context, even before the exile to the Assyrians, the northern parts of Israel, because of these good and bad kings, had already been flooded by uh, people from other nations. Uh, the area of Naphtali and Zebulun, there's another map on the screen. Uh, you can't really see it. The top, top right, middle, left, top. Hang on. The kind of orange and pinky bits at the top, just to the left of the Sea of Galilee. That's Naphtali and Zebulun. Those areas had already been populated by uh, foreigners, whether that was refugees or through the countless attacks and invasions in the north. Uh, many nations and foreigners had settled and made it their home. Uh, that's why it's called the Galilee of the Nations, because there's already lots of Galilee, uh, sorry, uh, Gentiles there. Uh, non-Jews, in other words. Uh, and the Jews, of course, considered the Gentiles, the, the, the people of the nations, to be pagans, to be dark. They didn't recognize as a, them as the ones who followed the one true God, the God of light. So these people were the people of the dark, spiritually speaking, at least. And so that whole region was considered to be a dark and despised part of Israel. That's why in Isaiah says a land once humbled or, or made uh, to look inferior in the north. But the route that the exiles will take, if you remember where Assyria was uh, on the map, which is gone now, uh, the route that they would come back on, the exiles would come back on, as predicted on Isaiah, was called the Way of the Sea. It ran from along the Jordan River from north to south, and you can see the Sea of Galilee up at the top there. And it traveled right through Capernaum, where Jesus is on his way to in our passage, right through the Galilee of nations, right through the region of darkness. And that's why we get verse two in Isaiah nine again. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. 
you can imagine it, can't you? The, the surviving Israelites still living in Naphtali and Zebulun and in the land of darkness uh, as the exiles start to return. And they're coming through their town on their road, the way of the sea. It would have been a great light, a great hope, a great future as the exiles returned. There's hope, there's salvation for God's people here. And who saw it first? Well, the Galilee of the nations, the place of darkness. Now the prophecy comes true. The exiles did return. They returned along that route. Uh, as promised in Isaiah. But Isaiah's got more than just this uh, exile return promise on his mind. Uh, That small victory of light in the darkness was a signpost, if you like, to the greater light and salvation that's to come. And he makes that clear in the latter part of Isaiah 9. Uh, So these are familiar words. You'll know them from Christmas, which wasn't too long ago. Uh, Isaiah 9 and 6. This is where uh, he broadens the perspective of the prophecy he gives. For us, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince and Peace. There's more going on here than just a, a returning exiled people. Of the greatness of his government the, the, and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In other words, there needs to be a full and final fulfillment. Uh, There needs to be a full and perfect light in the darkness, not just a temporary one of returning exiles, who also needs to arrive by way of the sea, because that prophecy is still going to be true. He's also got to come from the land of Naphtali and Zebulun, the Galilee of the nations. And so when Jesus, uh, and so that is where Jesus arrives to, to begin his ministry. He reveals himself, not in the temple, not in uh, the synagogues, not in the Jewish strong areas. He goes first to the darkest corners, both to fulfill what's promised in Isaiah but also to show the type of ministry that Jesus has come, the type of salvation that he brings. It is extraordinary that God would choose to reveal the light of the world, the saviour, to the region that is most densely populated by Gentiles, not Jews. To those in the dark about God. Why not the temple? Why not Jerusalem? Why not in glory and in significance and in power? What were the clues in Jesus' first sermon? It's a lot shorter than mine today. I'm sorry about that. Uh, But it's in verse 17. The clues in Jesus' first sermon. He simply says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. So this, this sets up now everything Jesus does in the rest of Matthew's gospel. This is what he preached. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, it's a two-point sermon, and the first point is uh, repent. Uh, the light has dawned. Uh, it's not this time a returning people from exile, but Jesus himself with a call to repentance. Uh, the thinking is not that the repentance is light, but Jesus is the light, and the light of Jesus is accessed through repentance. Uh, repentance is 
kind of opening the door from within a dark room. And as you crack open the door of repentance, the warmth and the light and the all-encompassing sunlight floods the room that you're in. So why is Jesus beginning his ministry by starting in the Galilee of the nations, the dark lands of those who don't know God? That's who he's come for. That is who he loves. Those who are lost, those who are in the dark. Not just the Israelites who have been privileged to know God through their history, but all nations, everyone. Uh, we shouldn't be too surprised John the Baptist has already prepared us for this type of ministry. Uh, back in Matthew 3, verse 2, he brings exactly the same sermon. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's exactly the same uh, words. But then he rebukes the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the teachers of the Jewish law. He says, who warned you to come? Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? You think you belong to God just because you're descended from Abraham. You've not realized you're in the dark. You think you're all right. In other words, if you, if you think you're a good person, uh, whether that's by association, whether that's by the way you behave, whether that's by your race or your status, then you don't think you need Jesus. And he's not going to start with you. <laughs> Jesus has come for those who are in the dark, who know that they are lost. Uh, every part of the globe where Jesus, sorry, where darkness dwells, the light has come. That is what the beginning of Jesus' ministry says. Every place in this world where darkness dwells, light has come. And it is a great light. He has come for all nations. And the message is repent. Uh, we see the light of Jesus across our world today, don't we? So many nations with the gospel and people responding. I did a quick count just within our congregations and there are 23 countries represented uh, just at Grace Church. Uh, I had to count three times, so I didn't quite believe it, but let me go through a few of them quickly. Australia, South Africa, Nigeria, Bulgaria, Albania, Mexico, Brazil, Colombia, England, Germany, Lesotho, South Korea, Hong Kong, China, Ukraine, Hungary, Indonesia, India, Jamaica, America, uh, Scotland and Ireland. So it's so a lot of people. Jesus came for the nations. All of these countries, and I'm sorry if you're from one of them, I hope you are because I tried to list all of them. All of these countries are full of darkness spiritually. But each represents Jesus' desire to reach all nations. Each has a door marked, it's the same door, marked repentance with Jesus the light behind it. Uh, so to summarize, if you like, uh, this first part, uh, Jesus has come to reach all nations. That is what his ministry is to be all about. Uh, Jesus has come to reach those in the darkest places spiritually. That is what Jesus' ministry is all about. And Jesus is light in the darkness. When we repent, when we repent, we have Jesus the light. We might ask what sort of light though is Jesus uh, or why is there such darkness without him? Well his second point I think makes that clear. So Jesus' second point of his sermon, the kingdom of heaven is near. 
Uh, if repentance is the door, uh, which, uh, when open, floods us with light, then the kingdom being near is the realm just the other side of the door. The kingdom of God, the, the kingdom of heaven, it's often those two terms are fairly interchangeable in the New Testament, is less about a land and more about a realm. The kingdom of heaven is near. It is a place where a king reigns, and the king is Jesus. Uh, and it's near, he says. In other words, it's urgent that you hear this message and respond. It's urgent that we repent because the kingdom is near. Uh, Jesus goes into more detail about his kingdom throughout his ministry. Uh, but the long and the short of it is that in his kingdom, under which all people exist, there are only two options. Either way, Jesus is king. And one option is to continue in the dark, spiritually sick and poor, in fact, worse, uh, who will face the justice of God, who gave us the door of repentance, and yet we reject it. Or we repent. Jesus is still the king, but this time he gives us his light. Every dark corner of sin and sickness and sadness and evil is eradicated in this kingdom by Jesus, the light for those who repent. As to some extent, we, uh, we already enjoy this kingdom as Christians today. If we live for him in his light through repentance, that is how we exist as Christians, then we're no longer enslaved to sin and darkness. Our life is one of hope and light. But there is still a complete fulfillment to come. There, there is in some way a, a kingdom is here, but also a kingdom is uh, still to come. It is near, Jesus might say. Uh, in Revelation, we get a picture of that final fulfillment of the kingdom of God. It, it, so this uh, uh, verse will be on the screen. This is a description that we see of the future of what it will be like, this kingdom of Jesus. So uh, Revelation eleven fifteen, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven, which said the kingdom of the world has become, something has changed, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, Jesus the King. And he will reign forever and ever. Uh, the implication, isn't it, is that there's a temporary state now where the kingdom has begun, but it is not yet fulfilled. It began, if you like, at the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, that's why at the end of Matthew's uh, gospel, Jesus is able to say, 28 verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am the king. Everything belongs to me. But there's still something to come when he returns to judge. If you like, for now, the kingdom is somehow still contested. It still contains darkness, which we know from our own lives and experiences. It still requires repentance. It still contains evil. We saw that last week as Jesus faced Satan and the temptations there. The door of light shines warmly on us. The kingdom has begun. Nothing can close that door for those who repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. We are assured of our salvation and benefit from his light now. But we have not yet entered eternal glory and light. The kingdom is near. So we cannot delay our 
decision to repent or not. We cannot delay in our sharing of this light with others in dark places, the lost who have not heard. For we know that when Jesus will return, we will die or Jesus returns, whichever comes first, the door of repentance will have gone. The option will have gone. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, so I was trying to think through uh, what this all looks like for us. So I've got three uh, sort of applications, if you like. Uh, they all begin with R. So you might remember them by putting today. Uh, the first one is repent. Uh, we said it, haven't we? We must acknowledge that we are in the dark and in need of repentance. It is our only hope for salvation to live with the king in his light. Uh, the second one, though, is to rejoice. We can rejoice because Jesus has come for those in the dark. He didn't come for the good people, the nice people, the important people, the people of a certain rate. He came for those who know they are in the dark and we need his help. We have turned our backs on God, who have done things wrong, who have complicated and messy lives. He didn't go to the wonderful and the powerful, to the holy people. He went to reveal his light to those who know they are lost. Who those, who, those with complicated histories and difficult life circumstances. He came for you and me. So we rejoice. Jesus the light came for us. So we repent and then we rejoice and we live a life of rejoicing in him. But thirdly, I also think we need to reach. If we are now his people, if we have repented, we live in his light, we rejoice in his kingdom, we're to continue the work he began. How sad it would be if Jesus came to all nations, came to the dark, offering his light. If his people who then accept his light then fail to keep taking the light to the far corners of the world. So that includes our neighbors and our friends all need to hear. But Jesus began with the hardest to reach places where the light seemed furthest from. He had a missionary heart for those across the world who had not heard the good news, had no opportunity to hear until he went. That's why we support Margo in Tanzania. Martin prayed for her earlier in a, in a Muslim village in Tanzania, seeking to bring the light of Jesus to a dark place where the gospel will never be heard otherwise. That's why we continue to pray for Caleb and Tobias, who are taking the light of Jesus to the dark lives of those who worship their ancestors, the shepherds in Lesotho. That's why we must all be involved in taking the gospel to the lost, to the dark, to the parts of the world that have never and will never hear unless we take Jesus. And so we should give to the, that work. We should pray for that work. We should seriously consider going to the lost ourselves, to the dark places with the light of Jesus. We're either after a life of comfort and money, a, a normal life, or we want to be like Jesus, who chose the dark places, the hard places, to take the light we carry to them. In the very next chapter, Jesus will challenge us with that exact sentiment, Matthew 5, verse 14. He says, 
you are the light of the world. He came as the light and he gives us his light. You are now the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Why would you hide this light? Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on, a on, a, on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Isn't that a warm picture? In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Uh, so if you're younger, uh, perhaps you can be a missionary of light when you're older. Adults, it's not too late. Some people retire to the mission field. Some people leave their jobs and careers for a greater purpose to take the light of Jesus, uprooting family, leaving the familiar. And they go on an adventure for Jesus, the light. There's uh, three things we can be uh, thinking about this week as we think about this passage. Repent, rejoice, and reach. Uh, if you got our email on Friday, uh, if normally about two people open it, and I'm not always one of them. So if you open it this week, though, you'll find a whole list of verses about Jesus being the light. Uh, and I'd encourage you to find it in your, it's probably in your spam folder. My emails always get spammed. Uh, if you find it, you'll find a whole list of Jesus being the light or encouragements of, for us to be in the light. And I'd say this week, read through those verses and pray and think about how they call us to repent, how they call us to rejoice and how they call us to reach. Let me uh, pray to close now though. I'm gonna read a verse from uh, 1 Peter 2, 9, uh, reminding us who we are if we have repented and believed in the Lord Jesus uh, as we pray. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, how glorious you are that you come to us who are dark and lost. And you come into the darkness and give us your wonderful light through the Lord Jesus. Thank you but that by your work and not ours, you call us to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special possession. We praise you that you are a God of love and compassion and we can rejoice. If we don't know you, may we repent for the first time and accept the great warm light of the Lord Jesus. For those of us that do, may you flood us with your warmth and light again. And may we live for you. May we put our light on a stand. May we give this light of Jesus to others who are in the dark. May we call them too to repentance, not because we're good, but because you are. May we take this light to the ends of the world, to the people that have never heard, whether that's through our finances or prayer or going ourselves. May you continue to spread your glory and your fame, your light across this world, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our country, and in our world. For your glory, we pray.